Good morning, church. It's good to be with you once again. Uh, this may be our last time to do what we're doing today, which is uh, pre-recording uh, the uh, services. Uh, Lord willing, next Sunday, the 28th, we will be having uh, live services, and then they will be streamed from Foundation Christian Academy. I'm sure uh, the elder making the announcements will be telling you more about that. We'll be having more to say about that this week, but uh, right now uh, we're in this service. Uh, I do want you to be uh, aware that uh, we do have plans to have a building on Lithia Pinecrest. We are a family of believers dedicated to the idea of worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. Uh, sharing Christ Jesus with all those that would allow us to talk to you just a little bit about Jesus so that you could find out who he is, what he's done for all of us, and to see the whole world transformed, but each one of us individually transformed in a positive way. And one of the ways that that will happen is the Holy Spirit will work upon our heart. But another way that that will happen is as we get involved in works of service. We want to be a church that serves our community. And if you're from around this area, you'll see that our building is even designed uh, very uniquely around that theme. And you'll begin to see that over the next few years, particularly as other bu buildings come up on that property. Uh, this morning, we're continuing a three-part series, uh, the uh, second of three, uh, Mechanical Instruments and the Holy Praise. And today we have uh, three new uh, Hebrew words we're going to be looking at. Uh, but before we go any further, if you would, let's stop right where we are and pray to the Father. Pray with me. Holy Father, uh, we come to you to worship you as our Father. I know that, Father, this is the day that uh, we call Father's Day, but uh, you are the great father of us all, and we wish to worship you appropriately and show you the honor. Uh, father, we pray that uh, you would help us to defeat deception uh, with knowledge. Help us to know things that keep us from being deceived. The world around us is so often so deceived. Father, help us to realize that our enemies are not flesh and blood, but they are demonic forces, uh, principalities and powers that cannot be seen. And we pray, Father, that you'd help us to stop looking at uh, other people with flesh and blood as if they're somehow not our friend or not uh, on our side, but are our enemies. Rather, Father, help us to realize it's the enemy behind the scenes. Father, we pray that you'd help us to replace fear with faith, that uh, we live in a time when churches are not even congregating, and obviously that's hurt us spiritually as a people. And we need to be congregating, and we pray that that'll come soon. Father, we pray that you would help us to re remove hate and fill it with love, realizing that uh, love is the uh, only thing that can save us, and you are love, Father, so help us to be filled with you. Father, we pray that you would help us to get rid of the sickness and be filled with health, and that would come from you, as you are the one who created us even to be able to uh, overcome sickness. Our bodies are amazing that way, Father, and we pray that you would heal our country from the sickness that we've been facing. Lord, we pray that you would help us today to learn to worship you and uh, to be in worship to you, that we would learn holy praise uh, of spirit and, and truth worship. And we pray, Father, that this, this little series we're in would be an encouragement to us all to be about worshiping you the best to be the best of our ability, Father, and 
Help us, Father, to serve you faithfully today in this service. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Mechanical instruments and the holy praise and the three Hebrew words, and believe me, I am not a Hebrew scholar, uh, are Shabak, Barak, and Tekah. And uh, we'll be looking at those in just a minute. You know, praise is not always praise. I know that may sound crazy, but it is true. You you might try these compliments if you think compliments are always complimentary. Here are a few that I ran across. There's ordinary, and then there's you. Try that one out. Or if you've got a friend, try this one on them. You know, you're almost as wonderful as cake. Almost. Or you might try this one. You're more fun than a bubble wrap. Well, that might actually be a good one. Here's another one. I just want to hang out with you and do stupid things together. I guess that's a compliment. Here's another one. You're just so weird all the time. It's great. Here's another one. You know what? I just don't know what it is about you. You're so irritating yet likable at the same time. Okay. Here's another one. You have a unique set of skills that can somehow turn any situation into an awkward moment. Okay. And then this one, and these were all meant, I suppose, as compliments. This one says, I like having you around because my weirdness does not look so weird when you're doing it too. Okay. So there's sometimes there's praise and there's praise and there's compliments and then there's compliments. So everything's not equal, right? That's basically all I'm teaching with that. Everything's not equal. So we need to consider more carefully uh, the meaning of worship in spirit and in truth. We need to consider more carefully that maybe it's kind of like those compliments that maybe they're not as complimentary as we think we're being. John 4, verses 22 through 24, Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So that's an absolute truth that we must worship in spirit and in truth, and these are the words of Jesus. So it must be the case from him saying that, then on all worship is in spirit and in truth. If I worship right, but I'm disobedient, i I'm in disobedience right at this moment. It makes me actually insincere and dishonoring in my worship. So I'm, I may be getting it all right doing the things as the Bible lays them out. But if I'm living in disobedience, my worship becomes useless. Listen to this statement. This is Jesus himself in Matthew 15, 1 through 9. He says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came up to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or his mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, 
but their heart is far from me. And in vain, that means worthlessly, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So when you're not trying to live right, it doesn't matter if your worship is right. It's not worship. Isn't that interesting? 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, this is the case of when Samuel had ordered Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites, and he did not. He brought these animals back to offer his sacrifices, and the people were all happy about that. Well, Samuel was talking to him, and so Samuel said in verse 22, "'Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams.'" The point is simple, and it makes it like this. It is much better to obey the Lord than it is to worship the Lord. Now think about that just a second. If you're worshiping because you're in, but you're in disobedience, it would be much better to be in obedience and not be worshiping. Now that's a thought, isn't it? So if I, if I worship right, but I'm actually in disobedience, I'm not actually worshiping and I'm dishonoring him. Another idea is if I'm worshiping right, but my attitude is actually negative. In other words, I'm doing it right. I'm doing all the things God told us to do in worship, and I'm doing that exactly the way the Bible says. But if I have a negative attitude while I'm doing it, I'm actually dishonoring God. I'm actually not worshiping. Listen to this statement in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. As a son dishonors his father, excuse me, as a son honors his father and a servant his master, if then I am your father, Where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. How in the world could that be? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Verse seven, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. Now listen to what he says. The reason that the food was actually contemptible is because they found it contemptible. Verse 8, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer then to your governor. See what he thinks. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? In other words, there's people among you that would really wish you weren't even having a service. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. In other words, if you really don't want to be there, if you really don't want to be a part of it, you're doing it right, but you really don't want to be doing it at all. Guess what? You aren't. You aren't doing it at all. Though you're going through, but I'm doing it. No, you're not. Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun, even to the going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles of the world. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name. That usually refers to prayer. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, there are going to be people that are going to worship me and they're going to mean it and it's going to be sincere. Uh, So there are people, believe it or not, this is going to sound strange. They're maybe sitting with you right now in your homes, worshiping in your home that really don't want to be there. They'd rather be in bed right now. They want to be a part of this service. They find it ridiculous. Now, that's few people. 
But let me explain. For them, uh, they aren't worshiping. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3 says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So without love, there really is no God, and without God, there really is no worship. And so if I so if I worship right, but my attitude is just negative, I really don't want to be a part of it. I'm not worshiping. I'm dishonoring God. Here's another thought. If I worship wrong, but I'm very emotional, so I'm not doing it exactly right, but I'm very sincere about what I'm doing. Well, that makes it all right. Actually, no, it still dishonors God. Listen to a couple of scriptures and you'll begin to pick up the thought. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, so you say the right things and you even mean them. Lord, Lord, listen to him. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's about, you know, it's not enough just to feel it. You got to do it. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? That'd be worshiped being a part of the worship and singing and all of that. And cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, if you're not doing it right, you're not really making me your Lord, you're not really worshiping correctly, uh, where's my honor? In Malachi 2 and verse 13, it says, you cover the altar with your tears, but if you're not doing it right, it's not accepted. In 1 Kings 18, verse 26 through 29, no one could question these men and women, whoever were a part of this, mostly men, I'm sure. Uh, no one could question their sincerity. But you got to remember, they were attempting to worship the God of heaven and earth, but they were confused about who he was. They called him Baal. All right, so they had the wrong name, and they had some wrong beliefs about him. Ultimately, though, they were really trying to worship the God that you and I worship. They were just wrong about it. But listen to what it says about them. So they took the bull, which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon. Well, they did a long time, so length makes it. They're there saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about on the altar, which they had made. So you can't say they're not energetic about it, leaping. I get tired just thinking about it. Verse 27, and so it was at noon that Elijah, now this has happened for three hours at least, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked him and said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So verse 28, so they cried aloud. So they actually listened to him and they got louder with it. And they cut themselves. Who's going to say they're not sincere? I'm not cutting myself. And cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances. They flagellated themselves until the blood gushed out on them. Who's going to say they're not sincere? These people are sincere. Verse 29. And when midday was passed, they prophesied in the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So they've been going like six hours, and they're bleeding. They're, man, they're jumping. Who's going to say they're not sincere? But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. That means the God of heaven and earth did not pay any attention to what they were doing. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? So if I do it wrong, but I'm very emotional about it, it's still okay. No, it's not worship and you dishonored him. Well, what if I worship right and I do it technically correct, 
And I even do it long like these guys, and I'm verbose. I speak so many wonderful things about God, uh, and I do it with great effort. But in my heart, I'm really not in it. In my heart, in my soul, in my spirit, in my mind, I'm really just not in it. But I did it right. You know, I did it right. And I'm not disobedient. I'm just, my heart's not in it. I'm just not there. Well, here's a thought or two. Matthew 6 and verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Let me say something here, and this is really important. A lot of people need to hear this. Church of Christ people, you need to hear this. Uh, beautiful songs and beautiful music doesn't mean that real worship is going on. The beauty of it does not make it beautiful to God. Now, that, that may seem strange to you, but it is true. Listen to this statement in Matthew uh, 23 and verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour what is houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. If the worship is just about the pretense of the worship, it's not worship. In other words, if, if my goal is to make it just beautiful, that within and of itself doesn't mean it's worship. I know that a lot of this is confusing probably to you, but if you think on it a little bit, you'll get it. Uh, unlike a mechanism, like a machine, I can worship God because he actually gave me that honor. It's an honor. Um, yes, a thing might declare the maker's heart. I mean, you work on the thing. If I made a beautiful, I don't know, guitar, and I was really good at that, it might declare the maker's heart in an effort to try to honor the God of heaven and earth. That's true. But a metal, soulless machine itself cannot honor God. And a beautiful sound made by a machine cannot itself honor God. A machine cannot mean or feel or offer its heartfelt honor for God. It cannot obey the Lord. It cannot give its heart to the Lord. Uh, an instrument is therefore not what worships or honors God. Only a man has been given that honor. A man has been given that honor to worship the God of heaven and earth. A man, but without sincerity, cannot worship or honor the God of heaven and earth. A man living in disobedience cannot worship or honor God. A man without sincerity it ends up only a clanging symbol and therefore only an instrument. That's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. That's all you end up being is just a noise and it's not worship. Thus, and, and I need to speak again back to churches of Christ. Thus, churches of Christ who, I mean, we've sought desperately often to avoid instrumental music, but we've never been able to escape it. That's right. I know that's going to come as a shock to you, but we've never really been able to completely escape it because in every service, there's somebody that's either in disobedience, but he's in worship doing it right, or he'd really rather be somewhere else, or he's singing, but he's just making a beautiful sound, but he doesn't mean anything he's saying. So in all of those cases, that's just instrumental music because it's not coming from the heart of the man. We who have focused on other things, who sing, 
end up only instruments. If, if the goal is, oh, well, we got to get the singing, it's beautiful. But if you focus on that so hard, you end up not even worshiping. It's all about hitting the note. It's about, about getting your part right. We who have focused on sounding pretty uh, end up only instruments. We who have focused on words, but we end up living disobedient lives, then our voice box and our lungs and our lips end up only machines. And yes, they are machines. And so they just become mechanical instruments too, and, and that doesn't worship God. So since only we in our heart as humans can honor God and give him his due and worship him appropriately in spirit and in truth, let's examine the words in the Bible that describe holy praise. And maybe we'll begin to catch up again on what God's really looking for because he's the one that wrote this, right? And so again, I am not a Hebrew scholar. I need to point out something. I, I made a mistake last week. I didn't know I'd made a mistake. I went to the Hebrew people and I got the word. The last word I used last week was Tuda. Actually, it's pronounced Toda. So there you go. So don't look to me to know how to pronounce these things. I'm just giving you the words. If you have the outlines, you'll see them. But we're going to look at these three Hebrew words from the Old Testament that are the holy praise words that are there. The first one is the holy praise of Shabbat. That's S-H-A-B-A-C-H. And it basically has several little meanings, but one central meaning. It means to soothe. It can mean to boast, to pronounce happily. Uh, so in other words, you're happily pronouncing something. To announce with a loud voice, to raise your voice, or a loud tone. So in other words, not necessarily you've raised your voice, just a louder tone to commend. So when I commend you for what you did, it's kind of give a greater tone to glory and to triumph. For example, this is a good example of when that happened is you remember Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king of Babylon. Remember how he was filled with pride and so Daniel had to prophesy about the dream that he received that he would basically go insane for seven periods. And so uh, those were either seven months or seven years. Nobody really knows for sure. But so he was in insanity for a time. He was a, a weird bird or a weird cow or whatever in his mind. But he came out of that, and when he came out of that, Daniel 4 and verse 30, 37 says, Now I, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, and that's the word Shabbat. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise Shabbat and extol and honor the kingdom of heaven and all of whose works are truth and his ways just uh, and those who walk in pride he's able to put down. He's talking about his own situation. So it's not really about the volume. I don't know that he had to be loud to do it, even though it, it might imply that. And it, it, I don't know if he was extraordinarily happy at that moment, but it probably. But the point is, is that there was an intensity in his heart, an intensity in his heart. Now that's significant. Now let me explain to you why that's significant. It's Psalm 145 verse four uses that same word again. It says one generation, that's one parent's, Okay, one generation shall praise Shabbat, your works, talking to the Father of heaven and earth. One generation shall Shabbat, your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. So it's not that the volume is critical. What is critical if you're talking to your children about God or you're singing to your children about God? What is critical here? 
It's not about the volume. It's not about whether the tone is loud or so. What is critical is intensity of the heart. If you want to convince the next generation, you need to be convinced, right? So if you're worshiping and you're convinced, that's it. So only we can do this. So therefore, let us shabak. Let us in our heart boast with a loud voice and in glory to our Lord. And that's about let it be intensity from the heart. So that's when we worship in spirit and in truth. The second thing I want you to see is the holy praise word of Barak. B-A-R-A-C-H is one way to spell it in English, obviously. Hebrew is different. Barak means to kneel, to kneel before God, and bless Him. So it's not just about the kneeling. It's about blessing God. It's a very unusual thing. Now, I don't know if you, you recognize this, but it's actually a transcendent pleasure and privilege to be able not only to kneel before God, but to bless God, to bless the Lord. Uh, Job 1, verse 21 says, And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Here it is. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There it is, the word, uh, Barak. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So it, the emphasis is not on the kneeling. I mean, if you didn't have legs, it's not critical that you be able to bend your knees to get to God. But the blessing is good for us all. So here's, here's the idea. I'm blessed, and therefore, and we often say that. How, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. I hear that at church a lot when we have church. Uh, I'm blessed. Uh, but I give to God a blessing. Isn't that interesting? It's basically saying, I help God feel like I feel. Now, that, that's, I love that. So as only we can, let us bayrak, that is kneel in our hearts before him and bless him. Make him feel the same blessed emotion and wonder as you do because of all he's done for you. And that a need a way of looking at it. So that's the holy praise of Barak. And then thirdly, the holy praise of Taka. That's T-A-Q-A. Taka means to strike or to smite or to drive a nail or to clap your hands. Uh, Now, don't get too excited, though, about all this hands up. You know, we talked about that last week or the hand clapping. Uh, A mechanical monkey can do this. So that within and of itself does not mean that God's being honored there. Uh, it's not a physical gesture as much as it is a spiritual gesture. So it's about uh, I'm clapping, but I'm clapping in me. This is just an expression of what should be happening internally. If you didn't have hands, obviously you could still obey this uh, concept. Psalm 47 verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God, with the voice of triumph. That, oh, clap your hands, that's the word, to cough. And so clapping, though I need to point this out, is not always positive. Uh, Naaman 3, 19, it was a very bad thing. Uh, it's only really in modern times began to be uh, more often used as a good thing. Uh, Psalm 18, verse 49, it points out these peoples that he's talking about here 
are the nations that the nations would be worshiping. So, oh, clap your hands, all you nations or all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Here's something I've noticed, and 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 this is the thing. And you got to remember what we're what you're basically doing when you're clapping hands is maybe drawing attention in the uh, Old Testament. It didn't have the same sense of uh, oh, that was so wonderful. It, it was more like draw your attention to something. So get your attention because people didn't really clap the way we do today. Now it's become an applause thing, which wasn't really a part of their culture. And it kind of worries me a little bit. I want to speak just from the heart here just a minute. Worldly applauding in church for some kind of what perceives to be a performance. Uh, I can see that in your heart if you're honoring God. Uh, for a victory that he's done in your life. But if it's kind of for the guy who just did a really good solo, I'm like, uh, I'm not sure that's where the Lord was trying to get your attention on this clapping thing because it was really about getting your attention or uh, doing it toward the Lord. So clap you, your hands, all you people, and shout to God with the voice of triumph. So it was really about announcing a victory. So as only we can, let us takah, that means to clap or shout, victoriously in our hearts of the Lord, declaring that God has performed a victory in our life. And that's really the point of the whole effort. So that's an interesting word. So here's what we've just learned, and that is mechanical instruments, the holy praise, only we can shabbat, that is to boast with a loud voice and glory in our Lord, which basically means intensity. Give it intensity, especially when you speak of things to the next generation so that they know you're convicted of it. And only we can barak, uh, that is to kneel in our hearts before our Lord and bless the Lord or make the Lord feel uh, good like we are feeling good because of what he's done for us. And only we can taka, that is to clap or shout victoriously in our hearts to our Lord. So basically pointing out that the Lord has given us victory in our life. So don't confuse mechanical worship with internal spiritual worship. Though it's not the same thing. Just because my lips are moving doesn't mean there's actual worship going on. And don't confuse what you think you can observe in others' worship with what God can and does see and recognize in their worship. Genesis 4, clearly, Cain and Abel came to worship. One actually worshiped, the other one didn't. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, you have Nadab and Abihu, who came and worshiped, but their worship was not received. So many, and this is an a flip side of that whole thing. And, and you really need to recognize this before you judge somebody else's worship. That many have secretly worshiped, but no one knew it, and no one knew that they were the true worshipers. That's right. Listen to this statement in Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 to 4. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand, that's my left hand, uh, know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So secretly, many have done great things. Secretly, many have been true worshipers that only on the day that the Lord is revealed will you see the honor and glory of having been a true worshiper. Some secretly got things right. And you may have thought, oh, well, he's not obedient to the Lord. But you don't know what's in a person's heart. And there's no way to know that. And no, maybe no one even noticed but God. But I assure you, God noticed. And if you're a true worshiper, God knows it. He's well aware. Uh, maybe you've heard of uh, Oscar Schindler. There was a movie called Schindler's List. 
was a real person in uh, Nazi Germany who saved many Jewish lives, hundreds of them. But what you may not know is there were at least 150 other Schindlers uh, in Germany who did not agree with what was going on in Germany and who were fighting as hard as they could to save as many from the Holocaust as they could. Business people predominantly that had some power or people in government or people in the military who didn't. One of them was Carl Plage. That's P-L-A-G-G-E if you want to look it up. Uh, He died in uh, 1957. He was a German engineer who rescued Jews during the Holocaust. And the way he did it, not everybody thought was a good way to do it. He literally uh, stopped participating in the Nazi uh, activities. He had been a World War I veteran. Uh, He actually was a part of uh, uh, the fight during that. But uh, in 1935, he broke with the Nazi party. But he still had a position in the German army, and he was employed. And he tried to protect the Jews in the Vilna ghetto. And how he did it is he employed them. And he literally set up the HKP 562 forced labor camp. You say, well, how does that save anybody? That sounds horrible. Well, you can judge him how you want, but his effort did save hundreds of Jews. And the way he did it is he said, well, I need these people who really didn't have any skills to help him with some skilled labor in the war effort. And so the SS allowed him to do it. And then he said, uh, don't take their wives and their children away, else they won't work as hard and won't help us as much. So that convinced them. Uh, But even with that, the SS began to pick up that he was really, they figured it out, he's trying to save people. And so they came to take them all away later in the war. Uh, He managed to get about 200 hid from the SS. So out of the 100,000 pre-war Jews and villainous, only 2,000 survived, but he was a, a big part of saving them. Now, think about how many died. So as a result, when the courts were had after the war, the Allied uh, actually forces judged him poorly. They did not think he did well at all. Uh, his uh, denazification court in 1947 only would give him a, a status of what's called a fellow traveler of the Nazi party uh, because he, even though he had done some humanitarian things, uh, he really had not fought hard against Nazism. And here's the thing, a lot of people like that. In a world we live in, you can't really judge it. You know, you don't really know who's doing what sincerely, do you? It's kind of like before the Civil War. Uh, over 60% of the South were not slave owners and were not for that, or at least didn't ever buy a human and force him into slavery. Now, how many of those actually were against it? I don't know. But to say they were all for it would not be representative of people. I found that you just really don't know what's in people's heart. Only God does. So when it comes to worship, I don't know how many people out there are actually worshiping. I have no idea. I can't look at people to tell. I can't go into a room and see them because they're using a mechanical instrument and it's in the presence of them that that nullifies everything they're doing. That's like saying, well, in the churches of Christ, because somebody didn't mean it and they were just singing over there, making a pretty sound, but they didn't mean it. That's an instrument too. And so I can't do that. But but many, likely many, are worshiping acceptably and I just don't know who they are and where they are and only God can do that. And by the way, only God can judge my worship. And I got to work on me. I, I got to fix me. Do I always worship appropriately? No. Is my heart always in it? No. Is my attitude always right? No. Am I always obedient? No. So, but I do need to give it effort, don't I? 
I do need to give it effort. I, I need to boast with a loud voice in my heart about the glory of God. I need to Shabbat. I need to Barak. I need to kneel in my heart, and I need to bless the Lord. And I need to Takah. I need to point out the victories that God has done and, and clap my hands and point to the thing he has done for me. So begin with Jesus. Believe, repent, confess, be baptized in him, and do your best to worship him because uh, only he knows whether you're worshiping in the spirit and truth. And God's looking for those. He knows who they are. I hope you're one of them. God bless you today. If you're not, we'd like to help you try to get there. We're just uh, fellow travelers as well. God bless you. Have a blessed day.